Good morning and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Larry Kay and I will be the host for the presentation today. Today, of course, is Sunday, June 11th, 2023. Uh, I'm going to give you the share ID numbers for Friday, June 9th. The uh, 7 a.m. meeting, that number is 20,338. That's 20338. And for the 10 a.m. meeting on Friday, that number is 20,339. That's 20339. This morning, A Vision for You presents Great Events Do Come to Pass. So our speaker this morning, uh, Shanna, she's going to focus on Chapter 11 entitled A Vision for You, and she's going to try to her best to weave together her personal story of transformation um, of surrendering to God as she understands God and the implementation of the 12 steps. So, you know, I was thinking, what, what sort of vision does this practical program of spiritual action offer to the uh, still suffering alcoholic, or in our case, the, the still suffering compulsive overeater? And well, that's a good question, Larry. I'm glad you asked it. <laughs> you know, if they had told Bill Wilson, and I was thinking and say, I don't know, like October of 1934, let's just say, that there was a way out of the horror of his drinking where he could not only stop, because he certainly tried up to that point many times, but that this solution, he could stay stopped. And in addition to that, he wouldn't stay stopped in misery, in progressive misery. He would stay stopped in progressive he would come to no peace in other words there you know they would tell him there was a way he could remain sober day after day where the grip of the obsession to drink would be destroyed it would be eradicated and if they told him that this would happen automatically just that he had to do a few certain things and if they had told him in october of 1934 that this would happen and and most importantly, simultaneously, when it happened, he would experience happiness and peacefulness and usefulness in his sobriety. Even, they told him, maybe they would tell him, in the midst of the calamities that would befall you know, him from time to time because he was human. If they had told him that, I think that he would have been, needless to say, highly skeptical, right, on this vision of recovery. And in much the same way, well, I can speak for me, but a lot of us, we arrive to the 12-step rooms with skepticism. We, we have feelings of fear. We have agitation about, you know, something that may happen. Maybe we've seen something happen seemingly in you. And a sense that this fundamental change that, you know, that we've been introduced to, you know, as a prerequisite for spiritual recovery, it, it's just not possible for us. I mean, we're going to we're going to, you know, hold our judgment here, you know. And, and just as Bill says on, on page 152, we have, you know, thoughts that, you know, that, that capture, you know, he had thoughts of that capture the state of mind really well. He knew the alcoholic pretty well because he was one. And, in fact, if you've ever heard someone in the room say, this is a program of substitution, you know, here's where their words are congruent with what's in the text. So on page 152, it says, and I quote, he will presently try the old game again. 
for he isn't happy about his sobriety. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. And then he will know loneliness such as few do. He will be at the jumping off place. He will wish for the end. And I can certainly relate to that. And it goes on to say, we have shown how we got out from under. You say, yes, I'm willing, but, but am I consigned to be, you know, to, to live a life where I shall be stupid, boring, and glum, like some righteous people I see? I know I must get along without liquor, but how can I? Have you a sufficient substitute? So there's that word. And yes, it, said, it goes on to say there is a substitute, and it's vastly more than that, right? So clearly, we need a sufficient substitute, and, and not just any substitute either. We need a substitute that is going to overwhelm the obsession, right? It, it can't be like an equal exchange. It, it, you know, it has to be a blow to the obsession. It has to blow the obsession away, in fact. And if this substitute doesn't obliterate the obsession of the mind, it's, it's going to be like a cruel joke, you know, where we, we won't come to know peace in our sobriety. What, what will we come to know if it's a joke? We'll come to know devastation and shame and the progressive nature of the disease will ultimately kill us. It's a killing disease. So chapter 11, the, the namesake of our, our big book study meeting, we, we, we learn each morning, um, a vision for you. It offers us hope, but first it pays homage to the destructive nature of the alcoholic mind and body. And then I like how it, 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 it pivots, right? It spells out what we can expect after we've undergone a complete spiritual transformation as the result of the implementation of the 12 steps. In page 151, um, and I don't want <laughs> to take too much of Shan Shannon's going to, you know, probably get into some of the stuff, but you know, on page 151, the first line, uh, excuse me, in, in the, uh, the line in the first paragraph, as well as the, uh, rather the last line in the first paragraph and the second paragraph says, there was always one more attempt and one more failure, right? And, and, and then people didn't tolerate us. We withdrew from society and so forth, right? And so we, we you know, had to face the hideous four horsemen, you know, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. And unhappy eaters like us are just like that. So, you know, in, even in the preceding chapter, chapter seven, or one of the preceding chapters, chapter seven, working with others, page 89 says that we, you know, we learn what happens when the work of, when we work the program of action. And it's a promise. It says life will take on new meaning to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. So that, my friends, is the sufficient substitute. Not the substitute is not 90 meetings in 90 days, right? It's not a slogan substitute. It's not taking what you want and leaving the rest. If we take someone through the book who takes someone through the book, who takes someone through the book, that is the ripple effect of the substitute. So I'm just in contrast. I'm going to close with this before I hand it off to, um, to Shanna. It's a true story. Um, and in sharing this story, see if it resonates with you. I know a guy 
and his relatively young wife. Uh, keep in mind, young to me these days is anyone under 50. It's changed, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, but this man's wife had been a smoker for many years, she, and she was diagnosed, unfortunately, with lung cancer. Possibly treatable these days, but, but, you know, no guarantees on the outcome. Anyway, eventually she was placed on oxygen and, you know, to support her breathing during treatment. And she, she labored to breathe. And the husband had confided in me that all during this time of treatment, she would get in the car, you know, they would leave. And she would, on the way home, she would pull out her pack of cigarettes. And you can only imagine her husband's despair and anger even and frustration with his wife. Yet somehow he had some compassion for her. Why, he said, are you doing this? The doctors have said that it's, you know, it was the years of smoking that contributed to your lung cancer. And now you're doing the very thing that may serve in killing you. And here's the, where I'll end. He said she looked at him with, with kind of stubborn eyes. And he, she said the following. She said something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing, you know, my life has been reduced to fear, and I subject myself to painful chemo treatments. My hair's gone. I have no dignity. I, can't, I don't even control my bowels very well. And now you want to take away the only thing that brings me a few seconds of peace? There's no substitute, she said, for the peace that I get when I take a drag on this cigarette. So again, any vision that doesn't offer an overwhelming, all-encompassing substitute to my momentary drag, if you will, on a slice of pizza or a hostess ho-ho is going to be insufficient. We need a tsunami of God consciousness to roll in. It can't be a trickle of God consciousness. This program has to overwhelm the disease in a way that I might not understand. Now, joining us this morning to share her experience, strength, and hope around some of this stuff and, and finding a power greater than herself is Shanna C. from Tennessee. And Shanna is a dedicated member of Overeaters Anonymous. She does her best uh, imperfectly to practice the 12 steps teach the 12 steps, hand, you know, pass it on. So please join me in welcoming Shanna C. from Tennessee to the line this morning. Shanna, good morning. And Shanna, press star one. Good morning. Uh, sorry for that little bit of a delay there. Um, That's okay. Know. We hear you. We hear you. We love uh, you. No worries. <laughs> oh, I love you guys too. And uh, this is Shanna C., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater eater, uh, from Tennessee. And Larry, thank you so much for that fabulous introduction uh, to this absolutely fantastic chapter. A uh, chapter that has uh, provided me with so much hope over the years. And um, because, you know, uh, Staying in today and stuff, I still need that hope for the future, plan for today, or plan for the future, hope for today, and, and all of that, and to know that it, that as long as I stay on this path and in these steps and close uh, to that God of my understanding through the daily practice of these steps, I can have that vision that this chapter talks about. And I love, and what, and I want to, first of all, I want to thank Leah for asking me to speak a few weeks ago. What an honor and a privilege it is to be on this line and to be able to 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 be a part of this. I mean, a few years ago when I would hear 
people talk on this meeting, uh, even in the daily shares, much less a special edition meeting, I would be in awe of the miracle that is happening in their life. Like how in the world can they not eat and be happy about it? You know, how can, how can they abstain from, I mean, it's just, it's humanly impossible. I found, you know, and there's, there must be something bigger. There must be a substitute. There must be something happening in the lives of these people that is causing them because they ate like I do, you know, they, they can't stop once they start. They, they think around food the way that I do. And, you know, and I remember hearing this and thinking, my God, how in the world is this happening? And so that's the kind of thing that drew me in. And uh, I just absolutely am so grateful to be here. It's an honor to do anything for Overeaters Anonymous. Um, it's absolutely a miracle um, for my life. It's through God's grace, these steps, the big book directions, the first 164 pages strong sponsorship that I've had the necessary vital spiritual experience that, is, that has made it unnecessary for me to compulsively eat a day at a time since September 29th of 2019. For that, I'm eternally grateful. I have a sponsor who has worked these 12 steps out of this book and has been relieved of her uh, obsession to eat um, compulsively. And uh, she has a sponsor and I sponsor people as well. And a vision for you is my home group. You guys were my place to land on that Sunday morning when I called into this special, this, oh, this great event. The great event is what brought me here. Because on September 29th of 2019, after an eating binge and after having been in recovery for years and living in steps 10, 11, and 12 and praying about the food for years and in and out of OA and in and out of a vision and Having an OA sponsor that, you know, with, you know, different types of ways of eating and types of sponsorship and ways of going through the big book and, but not fully understanding what it meant to be a compulsive overeater and understanding the, I see, I thought I was, because I'm a recovered alcoholic and I thought I was just an alcoholic who had a food problem who had just turned to food. It didn't occur to me that I was a real compulsive overeater also. And so, you know, I had a lot of confusion about what it meant to be in recovery. Uh, you know, I thought there were certain rules, like like if you're in AA, you can't be in OA and whatever you have to, you know, all these things. And so I did the best I could with the information that I had and my level of willingness at the time um, until that day when I rolled out onto my knees and I begged God for help because here I am, I'm experiencing miracles in my life. I'm experiencing the hand of God in my life. And for me to say otherwise, that the program and the steps and all that didn't work up until then would be a lie. God was with me the whole time. I'd had certain spiritual experiences that have relieved me of a lot of things, but for whatever reason, my obsession to eat had not been removed until then. And it was then, I believe, that I rolled out of bed. I begged God for help because I had this deep, gut level understanding that I cannot explain otherwise other than God you will you are absolutely going to have to change me into a different human being for me to not obsess over food for me to eat the way I'm supposed to eat and instead of the way that I do I cannot under any circumstances stop 
eating the way that I'm eating and I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop hating myself. I can't stop obsessing over my weight. I can't stop obsessing over what I did or didn't, what's right or wrong and how I look and all of it. And just the absolute insanity, misery. God help. And it was then that a thought rushed into my head that said, pick up the phone and get on the special edition. And I just so happened to have a little notebook from years prior where I would write down my food and commit my food to my then sponsor back in 2015 on a vision for you. And I just so happened to have the the number for a special edition that morning. And I got on the phone and I listened. And a woman was telling her story. She told my story. And immediately after her story, I gave her a call and wasn't expecting her to call me back. I mean, I know how this stuff is. You get inundated with calls after you talk, and it's like, ugh. But she called me back, and she just so happened to have an opening for sponsorship come open that week. And she stays pretty full, and for that to happen is pretty rare. And I went through those steps, and I started committing my food, and and all of this, and I haven't found it necessary to eat since. It's a miracle for my life. Every day, every meal is a miracle for my life. Every day that I get to get on and listen to you guys and be a part of this is a miracle. The fact that I haven't, that I don't eat the way that I did, not just the not eating, but my God, the, just, the things that have happened as a result of taking the action of these 12 steps and seeing and witnessing the reality of a power greater than myself, a real power greater than myself, at work in my life is absolutely what keeps me coming back. That's the substitute. I call them God shots, you know. I need a shot of something bigger. And you know what's most overwhelming and that tsunami that comes is the fact that this power greater than me seems to care so much about the tiniest little things that this God that I have come to believe has created, infinite, that is everything, would care about something so small as a meal and an ingredient on my plate that I can it would give me enough strength to ask knowing that I'm so weak and powerless that I'm too scared to ask about an ingredient in a food at a restaurant but he gives me the courage to do that and when I do I get provided what I need in those moments that he would care about those little moments why? So that I can have a story to tell. So that other people can find hope. You know, it's uh, absolutely unbelievable. So what my hope is, is what is so cool when I was asked to speak, I, it didn't occur to me that I would be speaking the day after Founders Day, which was when Alcoholics Anonymous was formed, which is where our program came from. It just came to mind, the topic did, is a vision for you. And they, they talk about how the formation of Alcoholics Anonymous and how one message, a mess, one man carrying the message to another is what's caused this fellowship to grow and the miracles that have been wrought as a result of one alcoholic helping another. And uh, the use of these steps and so many other programs is just, and how people have found God through the, their dark past has become their greatest assets, absolutely incredible. And so what my hope is, is to, is to share um, exactly what has happened to me. You know, I want to share the miracles. First, I want, to sh- I want to qualify myself. I am a compulsive overeater. 
meaning that there are certain ingredients, uh, whether it be food or drink or whatever, that once I ingest them into my system, whatever, there is a craving that develops that only happens when I ingest it, and it creates a craving for more and more and more and more. And I cannot stop. I mean, there's not enough ever. And if I if I run out of one thing, I'm I'm grabbing something else. If I start out with something, I'm grabbing something else, and it's just it's not over till it's over until it's done with me. Well, that would be okay if that was the only component of this disease. Um, the other part of it is is my mind that convinces me that I have the power to stop myself once I start eating it. Um, I have those strange mental blank spots where I forget the pain and suffering of even a week or a month ago. I forget how sick I make myself with food. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to control it and enjoy it. And it brought me to the gates of insanity. The next thing was death. You know, I wanted it to end. You know, Larry talked about that jumping off place. I couldn't imagine life with or without food. I couldn't imagine life eating the way that I was eating and I was wishing for the end right there in the middle of living in 10, 11, 12. But thank God for 10, 11, and 12. And thank God I had tapped into that power greater than myself because he led me to y'all. You know, boy, I tell you, having having recovery and being being on this road with a God of my understanding is a, can be a really wild ride. It's uh, exhilarating it's, at times. It's peaceful at times scary at times, but it's every bit of it is worth it. Yeah, I need something bigger than the food. <laughs> I need a rush. And my God is not boring, <laughs> I'm telling you. And so, um, so yeah, uh, you know, this is, I've been able to, to lose uh, 45 pounds. Um, unbelievable. And it's been maintained uh, for, for this amount of time since 2019. I get accolades from my physicians. They can't believe how healthy I am. They can't believe the food that I eat. They uh, tell them what I'm eating, and they're like, my God, keep doing what you're doing. You're hands down the healthiest person in this, that will come into my office today, things like that. You know, uh, I fit into my clothes. I feel better than I've ever felt in my life, and, and that's just the physical part of it. Um, I get uh, the opportunity to be an example to my son, who was recently, uh, I want to say about a year and a half ago, diagnosed with celiac disease. He, uh, you know, has to abstain from a lot of the foods that I have to abstain from. And we both feel like ducks out of water when it comes in certain social situations. We feel like oddballs and we get to walk through that together and I get to be a support to him. And he told me one time, he said, you know, mom, I know I can make it through this because I've watched you. And if nothing else happens good in my life, that one thing. One thing that I'm, I'll be forever grateful for. I want to share these miracles. You know, I, throughout recovery, I've had God show up. You know, I've had people show up when I didn't expect them to. I've had, um, I was born in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, I was born on my mother's birthday, and I entered uh, recovery on uh, October 13th, 2008 the 10-year anniversary of my mom's murder. She was murdered when I was 19 years old by her ex-husband. 
And of course, I carried tons of resentment uh, about that. And uh, prior to that, I do believe, you know, growing up as a kid, I do believe I was a compulsive overeater uh, long before I became an alcoholic. And, um, you know, you know, and then once I I got to the point of um, middle school and stuff, I had been made fun of relentlessly by teachers even. Shamu the Whale was my nickname given to me by my sixth grade teacher. Kids made fun of me for my weight. I was always heavier, whatever. And then by the time I reached seventh grade, I'd had what is now called a glow up. I had grown very, very tall. I was athletic. The weight was gone. And all of a sudden I was getting attention where good attention, at least that felt good, as opposed to the, 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 the ridicule. And I didn't know how to handle that, but I knew I liked it a lot better. And I, and I wanted to make, make sure that that never went away. And so what happened is I got into starving myself and all of the things I needed to do to make sure that I didn't gain any weight, you know, um, the laxative abuse, the, the starving, the restricting, the over-exercising, the constant obsession with it, does this make me look, you know, all, you know, and how I looked became the most important thing. And because as long as I looked good, then everything was going to be okay. Then I had a sense of worth, you know. And then my grades started improving. And by the time I graduated from high school, I was homecoming queen. I was thin. I was eating laxatives like candy. I was over-exercising. I was binging. I, I tried to purge, you know, vomiting-wise, but I never, for whatever reason, I I physiologically could not do it. Believe me, I tried. So I tried other ways. By the time I got into college, I was doing the same things, promising myself I was never going to, you know, go to the, go to the, um, you know, the, the dining hall there where we have the, the, the food plan or whatever, and we get to eat as much as we want. I'm not going to eat like I did yesterday. And I would do it again, binge again. And it was just this cycle and I went from being homecoming queen, honor student, senior superlative, basketball scholarships, uh, you name it, in high school to flunking out my first year at University of Tennessee. Um, moved back home with my mom and uh, started a community college. And then in October of that year, my mom was killed by her ex-husband and I moved in with my grandmother. And then went on, you know, still, I remember after she died, the only thing that gave me any kind of comfort whatsoever was alcohol and being super duper, 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 duper thin. My great obsession was I was going to control and and see how little food I could possibly eat. Um, So my solution was always at my core, um, something to do with controlling and enjoying my food or weight or whatever. Anyway, years of this kind of off and on behavior, um, I ended up getting married to the love of my life. We had a couple of kids and by um, 2008, October 3rd, uh, July of 2008, my, my, I had reached a, a level of depression that I and anger and fear that I had never thought I could ever you know I was someone who could go periods of time without eating I could go periods of time without drinking um, I had everything to live for um, I never thought I was a compulsive overeater I just thought you know I was like everybody else who had weight problem you know I had tried medication psychiatry diet upon diet 
you know, drinking, not drinking, eating, not eating, whatever, whatever. Church, religion, psychiatry. And I was absolutely miserable. And um, I remember getting to the point where I had absolutely no control of my emotional nature. And I broke the guitar, little toy guitar of my six-year-old little boy for her disobeying me. I busted into a million pieces. And he screamed out and cried. And he said, Mommy, why are you so mean? And I didn't know. I didn't know how to answer that. But what I saw was my abusive dad coming through. And my dad used to have that kind of behavior. He was an active alcoholic. And so this little guitar was burst into a million pieces. This little boy was six years old. And a couple of days later, I went to visit yet again another church. And I was trying to find something to try to fix me. And that little boy wanted to sit up front. I fought with him back and forth. I wanted to sit in the back because I didn't want to be seen. And finally, I said, okay, God, put me where you want me. I'm going to take this little boy's hand. Put me where you want me. There just so happened to be two open seats at the very front of this, this absolutely packed, huge, beautiful, liturgical looking church that I knew I didn't belong in because I wasn't good enough for God. We walked up there. My heels were clicking. By then, everybody had sat down and everyone was looking at me and I just wanted to hide. And I sat down with my little boy. And long story short, at the end of that service, I found out that those were people in recovery who reached out their hand to me in friendship and fellowship. And they offered me this way of life and they handed me this big book. And it was there that that my journey started to begin. And then on October 13th of 2008, I fully surrendered then. And from then, I started to grow in understanding and effectiveness and and the grace of my higher power. And little by slowly, he led me to you all. And on September 29th of uh, 2019, I, I surrendered to this disease also. I, you know, I did not want to be in another recovery program, but this is where I belong to. And I'm so grateful. And I was told by my, my sponsor, also said, God's going to lead you where you're going to be the most effective. And he's going to use everything you have. It's just, it may look different than what you think it's going to. And for you, Shannon, this is what this looks like for you. And so I get to do this. You know, um, I got the opportunity, you know, in going through the steps to make amends, believe it or not, to the man who murdered my mom. And this is one of the great events that came to pass. But see, what happened with him was, uh, you know, in going through step four and after having surrendered to this way of life and making the decision to go through the rest of the steps and writing out that inventory I was started praying for this guy because that's what you guys told me to do because of the resentment I had toward him obviously for what he did and um but I wasn't going to be free of the resentment I was going to continue to I was going to die if I wasn't free of this resentment regardless of what he did to me and my family so what ended up happening, I started praying, and what started happening was I started seeing this man from a different lens that maybe it was possible that when he was a little boy that he didn't plan on becoming a murdering monster, a dry drunk, alcoholic, and he didn't—he never wanted to be someone who, who, would, who would take the life of another. And looking at my own experience, I had to look at them as they, like ourselves, are sick too. We was the person we disliked. Nevertheless, we took the bit in our teeth, right? This is a sick man. God saved me from being angry. They, like ourselves, are sick too. So how was I like him? You know, in my fits of rage and my insanity, I was capable of bursting my son's favorite toy. And that's just one thing. How many times did I drive under the influence and could have killed how many mothers and sisters and daughters? Only children. See, she was, my mother was an only child. And my grandmother had to live another 12 years without her, her daughter. My mom was 49 years old. And she died. 
did he mean to do that? You know, was I willing to look at it from an entirely different perspective? And so I was, you know, I could have been sitting in jail for so many things that I'd done that, you know, but for the grace of God didn't happen with me. You know, should I have gone to jail so many times? Absolutely. So anyway, I was able to pray for him. And what happened was, in order for me to make amends, what I did is I did my homework and I talked with my sponsor and I sent him an honest letter saying that I forgave him. He told me the day that he he wrote me back um, and I got a letter from him a couple of weeks later that said, Shannon, I cannot believe you wrote me and I'm so thankful to hear from you. I want to let you know that I'm so sorry for what happened in the past. And I know that God must live in your heart for you to forgive me for what I did to you and your family. The day I received your letter, I was doing a devotional that day and he wrote it all out. It was all about forgiveness and letting go of the past and, and the day he received my letter of forgiveness. And what that showed me is the God of my understanding was working on this. That was a great event that showed me that God gave me, was giving me that stamp of approval that God was in these steps. Also showed me that a murdering criminal, he can use a murdering criminal to show me that the consciousness of my belief had come to me and that God had already forgave him before my letter had even arrived. So who am I to hold on to this, this, this grudge? Couldn't believe it. You know, I've had so many spiritual experiences, especially as a result of getting to that point of, of utter willingness and seeing that I can't change myself in steps six and seven, and then becoming entirely willing to make amends. And amends has been um, the thing that where I've seen the reality of God at, at work in my life, and that's what's kept keeping me coming back. You know, I've had people in my, you know, that I hadn't seen in decades. That would come to my mind and I would pray for them and ask for the opportunity. One, one case in point is another great event. We had moved back from Charleston, South Carolina, and one of the friends that I was in college with that I flunked out of college, but she was a friend of mine and she took care of me. You know, I was a very, very selfish friend and I used her and my amends to her was more of a, of a financial nature. And just letting her know that I realized how bad I treated her. And so I moved back from Charleston, South Carolina. I started going to the gym that she and I used to go to, and I was reminded of her. And I looked up to the sky walking into this place, and I said, God, I don't know where Janet is, if she's dead or alive or how to get a hold of her, but I'd love the opportunity to make things right with her. And I just kind of let it go. Two days later, after I'd already picked up money from the ATM and had greeting cards in my van, I walk in with my kids, and there she is on the elliptical machine right in front of me. Couldn't believe it. I would love to say I didn't shrink. But I went back, I was terrified because I was like, oh, my God, this is happening. Like, go, like, God heard me here. But anyway, I prayed. I called my sponsor. I got the money out, put it in an envelope, made amends right then and there. And she and I are friends to, to this day. In fact, she's actually my dermatologist. <laughs> Another one. Oh, my gosh. It was around Christmas time. And I was looking at going back to school. And I was living in 10, 11, and 12. I was practicing these principles best I could, trying to rely on God throughout the day, pausing and, and following those directions in 84 through 88. And I remember in my bathroom getting ready for the day, all of a sudden the thought crossed my mind was, you are never going to progress in your career until you make amends to your clinical instructor. Her name was Dina. I knew exactly what I was talking about. When I was uh, in um, occupational therapy school early on, I was in the grips of my disease and I, I ended up failing out of that. And I hated her for that. I thought she was out to get me. The truth is I owed her immense because I was a terrible student and I blamed her for all my problems and why I wasn't there. But really I was irresponsible. I was in disease. I had no power to be any different. 
And so what happened was I went throughout that day relying on God, ended up going Christmas shopping that evening, and I'm in a department store, and I'm looking around. I'm asking God to guide my thinking to keep my mind off of me to actually buy for the people that I'm there to buy for instead of myself because my default is to buy for me, you know. (laughs) And I look around, and I look up, and I see her. She's right there in front of me in this department store. I hadn't seen her in, again, a decade. And I hide behind a clothing rack because I'm terrified because I'm freaking out. Like, this is real. Like, I cannot believe this is happening. And what can come to mind is when a drastic step is indicated, we must not shrink. We must not shrink. But I was shrinking, you know. Anyway, I'm like, God, I'm going to mess this up. She's going to get away. I'm going to miss this opportunity. Oh, God, help. Help, help, help. And I call my sponsor and I relax a little bit and I look up and she had made it to the register and was checking out. And all of a sudden, the register dies and stops. And I'm like, oh, my God. It gives me time to get up there, right, to where she is. You know? And then right as I could start to calm down, I'm waiting on her. She checks out. She walks past me. I get her attention. I make amends to her right there in the front of the store. Unbelievable. Um, there was another time that, you know, and I was in the process of, of writing a letter to my grandfather. And I was given direction to write this letter and go to a private place to read the letter out loud. And then once the letter is read, I was given direction to burn this letter as a symbol, as symbol, symbolism into the spiritual realm. Like this is going into the spiritual realm because he had passed away. And so anyway, I remember before I, I got to the point where I was going to read the letter, I went to a, the upper room of this church that, that I was in or was attending and did the thing, and then as I was leaving, I said, God, you're going to have to remind me to burn this letter because I'm all about following directions that are not my own now at this point, but I'm going to forget. I know how I am. So anyway, I go and I pick up my children from the daycare. I rush home. I have the diaper bags. I have my notebooks. I have my inventory. I have all this stuff. I have the letter in the spiral-bound notebook. I throw my stuff down, go to change a diaper on my youngest son, my older son, who, who you know is about five or six, at the time says mom fire and I run downstairs and I look and what had happened is I had a glass top stove the notebook that had the letter to my grandfather in it had slidden across this glass top glass top stove and somehow the eye got turned on and it had burned it was laying on top of this eye and it had burned all the way up to where that letter lay and I looked at it and it occurred to me oh my god I'm supposed to burn this letter. I asked God to remind me. I, I couldn't believe it. I turned, the, um, I turned the stove off, went out, did what I was supposed to do, and thanked God, and I have a story. And another time, I remember going through absolute hell during my husband and I's separation. We'd separated for a little bit. Our relationship now is better than it has ever been. Thank you, God, because of this, this process. But nonetheless, that was a horrific time, and I remember praying in my kitchen, getting down on my knees in my kitchen and asking God, please, when are the promises of these not step going to come true? When? I mean, I just, I'm doing the work. I'm going to the meetings. I'm in the steps. I'm, I'm, you know, helping people. What am I, you know, God help. It was one of those desperate cries again. And all of a sudden, next thing I know, I feel this thud on the top of my head. And I look in a little book, tiny little, like almost like a little prayer book, devotional kind of book. My son had gotten off a bookshelf that, that he never goes to for whatever reason, grabbed that book, drops it on my head, and I look down, 
and written on the, t- the title of the book is called The Promise of God's Power. I can't make this stuff up, y'all. Fast forward to, to 2019. Same little boy that I prayed for and fallen down on my knees and asked God for help because I was scared of what I was capable of, the one whose guitar I had busted into a million pieces. He said, Mommy, why are you so mean? And I didn't know. And I begged God for help, probably the only unselfish prayer I'd ever really prayed up until that point. And it was from there that that same little boy that I prayed for led me to the people who showed me the solution to start with. That incident kept coming to my mind about me breaking his guitar, and I wanted to make it right. And I kept praying about it. I went to my sponsor and said, how do I make this right? He doesn't even remember the incident. I don't want to, you know, call, you know, we don't want to cause more pain, right? And so that's what I did. I prayed about it. She said, pray about it. About three days before his birthday, I said, hey, honey, what would you like for your birthday? He and I were in a very strained relationship at that time. I said, what would you like for your birthday? He said, I want a new record guitar. Full circle. You know, these are the kinds of things that keep me coming back. This is the substitute, the God of my understanding at work in my life. And I've been able to, and all I did was ruin my life with food. I became so desperate and so broken and so willing. I can't take out the credit for this. I was given away a life that I have no choice. I'm either going to live this way or I'm going to die a miserable death of a compulsive overeater irrelevant and feeling worthless and suffering before death. Or I get to live a life beyond my wildest dreams where my relationships get restored and I get to share experiences of something, things that happen with me as a result of something bigger than me at work and all that I've always craved and always wanted but never thought was possible for me. It's unbelievable. I get, to, I get to get on the line. I get, to, I get to, in living in 10, 11, and 12, and committing my food daily, you know, I get to go and be safe and protected in places where I'm, you know, foods that I thought that I would never be able to eat, or, or I'm sorry, never like or enjoy, I absolutely love now, and foods that I never thought that I could ever live without, I don't even want anymore. And while at the same time, I'm not obsessed over it. Like if I don't get my ideal meal, oh, well, it's just food. I'll get, to, I'll get another meal. I get to eat again. I'm not going to starve. You know, I get to, when I'm shaky, I get to do this daily, right? I get relieved of this obsession daily. I get to text my sponsor, hey, this is what's going on. I'm going out. I'm feeling a little shaky. I'm asking God to, to be with me. I'm committing to this or that. You know, and I never have to do this alone. You know, I had a, an experience a month or so ago when I was um, with my husband. He wanted to go to this one particular restaurant. I had looked on the website to see if there was anything safe for me to eat. And, and according to the website, it was I asked the person and that I took my or, that took my order, "Hey, does this have these ingredients in it?" And they said no. But I, something inside of me said, "You've got to be careful. You need to ask again." And I was like, "Am I just overthinking?" Because I tend to be a little bit of perfectionist. And whatever, and so I just paused and I prayed and I said, "Okay, God, you know." And I had eaten some of it, and I then I was just like, "Okay, I got to know." And so I went to another person and I said, "Hey, these ingredients in this food, da da da, does this have it?" Well, let me go check. Sure enough, it had the ingredient, and it like in the first like 
I just like the second greeting. I was like, oh, God, my mind starts to flip out. Okay, left to my own devices, without a power greater than myself, without grace, I would have said, screw it, I'm just going to eat. But no, what happened was, is I was able to pause and pray, and I was able to text my sponsor, this is what happened, this is what I did. I did everything I could. Some things happened beyond my control. And right in that moment, that 10th step, I get, I get texts from newcomers right there in that restaurant. A sponsee, this, that, and the other. And it gets me out of myself. And I get a text back from my, my awesome sponsor. He said, you know what? Things happen beyond your control. You did everything you could. I didn't lose my absence. I didn't have to eat over that. Thank you, God. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing how this, how this works. And I, you know, and I, can't, I can't put my finger on how God's going to operate, when he's going to show. I just know that he does. When I take the action of these steps, and surrender daily to the fact that I'm a compulsive overeater and I need the help of a power greater than myself daily, these great events do come to pass for me and I guess countless others. I know that within my sphere of influence, within my own family, you know, I had a situation just the other day, and this doesn't really have anything to do with food or anything. It has everything to do with the same little boy that I, you know, that I hurt years ago that I was able to make things right with by buying him that new guitar. It was perfect. I could go an hour about all about how getting him that new guitar that day was, was God led and how, how that was taken care of. And it just so many things. Um, but found out that that same little boy who started drinking about a year ago, you know, he's got, a, we've got a family history, despite the family history, despite what he knows about alcoholism, what he knows about me. He, you know, first of all, he's never had to see me drink, thank God. But he's watched others and he's watched, you know, other family members that have this problem. And that just shows my own powerlessness over it. And because of these steps, because of the faith in a God that I've come to know and love and trust, I was able to, to, to respond and, and love and incorporate these principles and have a relationship, continued relationship with this, this guy. All I got to do is love him. You know, and my younger son, the one with celiac, says to me, Mom, I can't believe your reaction to this. A year ago, even, you would have absolutely flipped out. You know, it's stuff like that that keeps me coming back. You know, um, that I don't have to worry, that I really do get to live a day at a time. I used to think that was for weak people. You know, the cool thing is, is I am bodily and mentally different from a normal person that I get to rely on a power greater than myself that guides me. I don't have to have everything figured out anymore. All I got to do is wake up in the morning, ask for God's help, do the next thing in front of me, live in 10, 11, 12, be willing to help other compulsive overeaters, be willing to be honest about what's going on with me and give it to God and be helpful. And the next thing you know, left in my wake is a pattern of, of love and forgiveness instead of wreckage. And it's not my doing. It's God doing for me what I cannot do for myself. So um, I, I could go on and on. I got, you know, more and more, you know, the move from four. I was living, when I made that amend uh, to my um son in Sarasota. We were living in Sarasota, Florida at the time. We had moved there um, after uh, moving from Tennessee. It was a major move. We spent, I know, at least a couple of years getting the house in Tennessee. 
uh, ready so that we could move to Florida for my husband's job. Um, and so in so doing, you know, that's a, that's a lot. When you make an out-of-state move with two kids in high school, middle school age, that's really tough. But, you know, uh, that was a God-led move, and, and God ironed out that entire process. And I remember when, once I got there, um, I knew I needed to get plugged in to recovery one way or another. Um, but I was getting the house settled and I was visiting meetings and doing all the things that I was supposed to do. And I was keeping in contact with my sponsor and praying and doing stuff. And uh, all of a sudden I started getting restless, irritable and discontented. And I told my husband, I said, I'm, I'm headed for relapse unless I get connected down here. He's my husband who, <laughs> who I believed was my problem that, you know, as long as he does what he's supposed to do, then I'll be okay. He's the one who's telling me, no, you, you, you need to do what you need to do. And the same man who would call me crazy when I first got into recovery and accuse me of all kinds of things and drink at me, you know, um, and make fun of me was now, is now in complete support of what I do. In fact, has told me, I support what you do and I admire what you do now. Unbelievable. So we're there. And what happened is I followed the directions we, that's listed in that book. And I pray and I call my sponsor and I go to a meeting to find someone I can help to ca- try to carry a message. We try to carry the message to, to the person who still suffers, right? The compulsive overeater who still suffers. Anyway, I go to a meeting to find a newcomer to help. And guess what? I ended up meeting a person who led me to what eventually ended up being my home group down there. And it was from there that I ended up meeting the sponsor who helped me with the amends to my son. It's just a golden thread that we get to follow. It's a still small voice that when I take the action of these steps, I get led. Often unbeknownst to me. It's absolutely amazing. And then we were there for two years. Um, but prior to that, my husband found out that that uh, that we lived, um, the town that we live in prior to moving to Sarasota, Florida, and a, a job opening happened. But, from the, I mean, in the place we just moved from. And it was like, oh, my God. And he's like, I want to move back. I'm like, you're kidding me. After all this that we've gone through, I fought him tooth and nail for nearly two years. And finally, at the end of that, um, and, and during that time, I had actually gotten into real estate and started, I mean, it was just awful. I, I'm not, I did well at it. But just because I can do well at something doesn't mean it's good for me. I'm, uh-uh, okay, but anyway, I did it, and I gave it enough time, and I, I decided it wasn't for me, but it was, but it all had to fall apart in order for me to completely give up my idea of living there, because had I done well and, and enjoyed it, we would never, would never have moved back. Anyway, long story short, it was about December of uh, 2019, my husband for two years was agonizing over wanting to move back to Tennessee. And I finally said, okay, you know what? I'm just going to trust you, God. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. It immediately, this black cloud lifted off of us. You know, the home that we thought we would never sell ends up getting rented out for way more than we expected. The day, I remember being in my garage and we were getting ready to put it up for rent. We had photographers coming that day because we were planning on renting the house out. We had um, a house that we were interested in back in Tennessee, whatever. But all these things had to line up in order for it to happen. And so what happened, I remember being in my garage and I said a prayer to God. I said, God, it would be so nice 
to not have to show this property to multiple people, you know, to rent it out. Be nice. We just had one person come in and just fall in love with it and be done because I have these two kids. We're busy. It's a straight, whatever. Guess what? One person came, looked at the house. We got a contract that day. I didn't have to show the house, but one time. And it was really, it really happened before it even went online. I mean, it was just incredible, like unbelievable. And then one thing after another, after another, an out-of-state move. I remained abstinent. We moved back. We're here. We're getting settled. I remain abstinent. The fellowship starts to grow up about me. I go on cruises. I go on vacations. I go through boredom. I've gone through death in the family and, and family members. I've been excited, been happy, been elated. I've been bored. I've been scared. But I've remained safe and protected. There's power greater than myself who really loves compulsive overeaters, I have found. And the coolest thing is, I found that this power greater than me wants to help. I'm not a burden. He wants to help. You know, humans are humans. Sponsors, as good as we are, as as much as we try to be, we are so human and we will let people down and we do the best we can. But I found that my Heavenly Father will never let me down. And I get to grow. I get to learn to get along with people. I get to experience these miracles. I get to share this stuff. I'm not a good teacher. I'm not good at much much of anything, but one thing I have prayed for is the opportunity to share what the God of my understanding has done for me and how real he is. And I get to rely on that power. And it's the only thing that has brought me through. So with that, I think I'm going to pass. And I absolutely look forward to to getting to know so many more of you as we continue on this path. And, you know, one thing, too, that just popped into my head about trudging. You know, we talk about this at the end of this chapter. You know, surely you will meet some of us as we trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Okay, trudging means to move forward with purpose. And I looked that up in the dictionary, you know, a long time ago. And, you know, I don't have to shrink back. I don't have to bulldoze over people, but I get to move forward with purpose because the dark past has become my greatest asset. It doesn't make sense. I thought I had to be perfect. No, it's when it's when I'm humbly relying on that God of my understanding and I'm being honest and real, showing my warts, you know, that that people can identify with that and that a true connection happens and relationships happen. That's all I've ever wanted. I just want to be in relationship with people. I didn't know how to do it. And food was my solution until it wasn't. And then God showed up. And then y'all showed up. That's all I have. God bless you all. Thanks for this opportunity. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Uh, thanks so much, Shanna. Thanks for, for a very passionate, um, inspiring presentation of hope this morning. And so I'm going to first give you the share ID for Shanna C's presentation this morning, and then we'll transition over to questions and answers. Uh, the share ID number for the presentation this morning is 20,341. So that's 20341. So now let's transition to our Q&A portion of the presentation and, 
uh, questions only. If you have a question you'd like to pose to Shanna, press star one to unmute and give me your first name and last initial. Nancy L. Anne Marie M. Loretta H. Susan C. Okay, um, let me tell you who I heard so far, and I'm sure I left someone out. Mm -hmm. So if I repeat your name, then just mute so we can get the other folks in. I heard Anne Marie, I heard Loretta, and I heard Susan. So those three can mute, and then for now, and who did I miss? Nancy Matthew L. Okay, so I heard Matthew, and there was a woman, and Nancy. say your name again. Nancy L. Yes. Okay, thanks, Nancy. So I heard Matthew, Nancy, Anne-Marie, Loretta, Susan. Who else? Jenny P. Jenny? No, Penny. Does that start with a P? Oh, Penny. 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 Hey, Penny, I should know your voice. Okay, got Penny. Anybody else? This first go around. Tamara C. Tamara. Who else? Felicia S. Okay, Felicia, I gotcha. Well, that's a good group there. We can uh, we can get you around the bend here. So, um, did it, did I also hear Nadia? I don't know if I heard Nadia or not. Did I hear you, Nadia? You did similarly. Okay. Oh, look at that. Okay, good. So, Nadia, I'll put you on the end there. So, we're going to stop there. And so, here's kind of the order, no particular order here, but just uh, as I have it down, I've got Matthew, Nancy, Anne-Marie, Loretta, Susan, Penny, Tamara, Felicia, and Nadia. That's a good list. So, if you're not Matthew, if you would uh, make sure to mute yourself. And Matthew, go ahead with your question for Shanna. Hi, this is Matthew J, Compulsive Overeater in Paris, France. Um, thank you so much, Shanna, for such an awesome share. I had the wonderful pleasure of hearing you share almost a year ago, very early in my recovery with this wonderful group. Anyway, uh, uh, love, love, love you, love your recovery, want what you have. I would love to hear just um, a little bit about how you sponsor. I know that's kind of a big, big complicated question, but I would love to hear <laughs> Um, a little bit of that. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Matthew. Oh, man. Um, Paris, France. Wow. Small world, but huge. But yeah, thank you for your your kind words and your encouragement. Um, As far as the way I I sponsor the way I was sponsored, you know, um, I commit my food daily. Uh, well, it started out, I, you know, uh, I called my sponsor, I called her and uh, she asked me if I was willing to go to any length. And I said, yes, she goes, are you willing to follow a food plan? And I said, absolutely. I mean, I, and I did. And, and so um, I wrote down all my alcoholic foods and ingredients and, and all of that stuff and alcoholic food behaviors and, and, and whatnot and did, did, uh, did that and, and sent that in and then in step two you know uh came to believe their power greater than myself you know is everything god everything i needed god to be and to do for me and that's what i did and uh wrote wrote all of that stuff down and started praying to that and acting as if you know and that was that was a little different for me um because i was scared to do that because i was i was afraid i was creating my own god 
and anything created by me doesn't work, but I had to start somewhere. My own conception, however limited, was enough to make a beginning. That's what it says in We Agnostics. So that's what I did, and I was desperate, and I was going to do whatever I was told. And then in step three, you know, she and I took a third step together, and we had weekly calls um, You know, that we don't always connect because she's either going on vacation or I'm going on vacation or whatever things happen. But the underlying thing is my real reliance is on God. You know, throughout the week, you know, if I if I need her, I'm able to text her or call her, and she call, we connect whenever we can, you know. And um, she's available, but we do have our weekly thing. You know, I went through step four and five with her, and, you know, and, of course, step six and seven right out of the book. And then when it came to amends, I had my amends list. And for me specifically, I'd gone through the steps so many times as far as direct amends that time around and going through the steps, I basically just had like a fear of people. And so my amends was, was relying on God ahead of people and seeing what I can contribute rather than what I could um, take from. And of course, uh, living in 10, 11, and 12, you know, I, 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 I follow directions out of big book. I read 84 through 88 every morning. I have certain prayers that I pray every morning. Is it always pretty? Is it always eloquent? No. But I do spend the time with God in the morning um, as best I can and and throughout the day and you know each meal is you know I follow the food plan and do what I do I mean it's just it's, it's pretty simple and you know and that's just how I direct the people that I sponsor you know I don't and I you know as far as step 12 goes my sponsor says carry the message be of service ask God to guide you wherever you need to be and so there's no real set this is how I do. I'm not given a whole bunch of homework. I'm not given a whole bunch of stuff to do. You know, that's just my experience. Um, it's actually simple. And I found it actually more difficult when, when it is more simple than it is to have a whole bunch of busy work. Um, but it, because it causes me to become more God-reliant as opposed to depending upon people and upon myself and my own ability to do the work, if that makes sense. Um, the food plan doesn't keep me abstinent. It is the connection to God through these steps that enables me to gain access to the power to follow the food plan and to stay abstinent. God keeps me abstinent, if that makes sense. But I still have to take the action, all of it. I don't know. It's it's an, absolutely a miracle. Anyway grateful for today and that's that's in a nutshell how i would how i sponsor if if someone asked me so thank you so much yep yeah thanks for the question okay next up we have nancy l with the question followed by Anne marie nancy good morning good morning and thank you shanna and thank you larry this is nancy recovered in arizona oh i love your story i've heard it before especially the guitar part because I, too, was, uh, well, for me, I was a rageaholic and, and way out of control with the food. And my husband, my son was pretty young, and he was in the one room playing Legos. I was in the basement next to that room. And I got mad at my sewing machine, real mad. And I busted it into a billion pieces. I'd pick up some of the pieces and bust them even smaller. I went mad. And then I just went upstairs, and that was it. And, you know, my my son heard all that and walked out and saw all that. And um, I am so grateful to be in recovery today. I got to hold him. I got to put my arms around him for 10 whole minutes. 
about four days ago when we went to Colorado to visit him. He's in a rehab now. This is a rehab that will um, de determine if he's going to go to prison for 14 months or not. If he stays clean, he won't go to prison. If he continues his destructive behavior, he will go to prison. And um, you know what? The best thing I can do for him is to stay recovered. And your story has helped me and made me even stronger to stay recovered for today. Thank you again. I pass. Thank yeah, you so thanks, much. Thanks. Yeah, thanks so much, Nancy. Appreciate that you can identify him with that. So we'll, as we're going forward here, next to Anne-Marie, followed by Loretta, we're going to also try our best to stick to a question if we can. Um, so Anne-Marie, you're up. Good morning. Hi, hi, Larry. This is Anne-Marie. Um, so good to be on live. Um, I don't usually get to be um, on live. So, and a great inter introduction. Um, that was great, Larry. Thank you. And Shanna, oh my gosh, I could just listen to you all morning. Um, I, I really appreciate it. So I will get right to my question. Um, and I may have misunderstood this, but I heard you say that you surrendered, and then it sounded like, uh, and then and then you surrendered. It sounded like maybe you took a while to fully surrender to the food. I'm not sure if that is the case. But if that's the case, what happened in between the two times that you surrendered? Oh, that's, yeah, that's a wonderful question. Thank you so much. Yeah, okay, so I started out in recovery um, and uh, AA. Um, knowing, I mean, that I always struggled with food, okay, from the time I was little until you know, that's always been there. And then I found alcohol and that ended up becoming my ultimate solution for every everything. And so for me, in my own experience, and I'm not saying it's this way for everybody, and I'm certainly not saying it's a rule, but my experience was um, I had surrendered to the God of my understanding in AA and started in the steps and, and all of that. That was in October of uh, 2008, okay? Throughout recovery, I've had series of surrenders, surrenders. And so for me in AA, what happened was, you know, I was going through the steps and a lot of things on my resentment list and in my inventory had a lot to do with the food and my weight and eating disorders and things of that nature. And so, and you know, I was told by people in AA, just keep praying about it. God will, God will eventually take care of, of the food and stuff too you know, whatever. And so what ended up happening is I, I got super confused. Like, you know, I, here I am, I'm trying to take direction from people in AA that don't understand compulsive overeating. Okay. There are plenty of people and, you know, tickled to death to be sober in AA. There's donuts. There's all kinds of stuff in AA meetings that, Hey, eat, better than drinking, right? Eat a donut, eat the cookies, fine. And, you know, to a certain extent, that's true for a lot of people, but, um, and so it took what it took. So that was my first level of surrender. And then once I had been in recovery for a while, I started noticing that I was really, really struggling with food as well. But I had people in NAA saying, don't worry about the food. Don't worry about the food. I mean, who cares? Just accept yourself the way that you are. Well, I couldn't do that. I couldn't get rid of the obsession. And it didn't seem like anyone understood. And so it was in... Um, you know, another alcoholic had given me a vision for his number back in 2015, and I'd started out there, but I didn't fully concede to my innermost self at that point that I was a compulsive overeater. Also, like I said, I thought I was just an alcoholic who was using food. 
Um, and eventually that would go away, but it didn't. Okay. And so anyway, I went from that sponsor to different sponsors, different ways of eating, whatever. And by the time 2019 rolls around, I'd suffered enough to where I saw my absolute powerlessness over food. And I was willing to do whatever it was I needed to do to get well. If that meant joining OA, fine, so be it, you know, and that's what I did. So those are, those, that's, that's what happened. That's my experience. Thanks for the question, Anne-Marie. Okay, next up, uh, we have Loretta followed by Susan. Good morning, Loretta. Good morning, my friends, Larry and Shauna. Oh my God, I see the vision of you. I don't know who you are, but I can see the recovery. Loretta H. recovered in North Carolina. You talked about, and this is my whole story, I also am duly addicted about looking good. And I read on Friday that I don't need to look good, I need to be good. So what is your daily action spiritual plan to keep you invested in being good and also having those, I call them God sightings, await every minute when I do that. With that, I pass. Oh, thank you, Loretta. Um, uh, <laughs> surrender, surrender, surrender. Boom. You know, I, what, what happens for me daily, this is what my day looks like. I would love to say that it's this beautiful package that I do every single day and I'm so perfect at it and, you know, whatever. Um, and everything is always rainbows and flowers. It's not. I wake up in the morning, my mind starts racing because <laughs> I'm, you know, I've got a broken mind it's, and I'm not cured of this thing. So the first thing I do is I ask God to direct my thinking. Like I'm rolling out of bed asking God to direct my thinking. Let it be especially divorced of self-pity, dishonest, self-seeking motives and fear. And usually what that looks like is I'm headed to the bathroom, I'm getting something to drink because I'm so thirsty. And of course, I'm a compulsive overeater. I want to eat. It's been hours since I've eaten. And so I'm asking God to keep me, you know, sober, abstinent, and sane and, and enable me to follow the food plan today. And because I need, the, I need him to do that for me because I can't do it on my own. You know, I'm surrendered to the fact that I don't have the power unless I ask him for it, unless I'm willing to take those actions, those spiritual actions. And so I spend that time in prayer meditation. Sometimes it's rushed. Sometimes I'm distracted. Sometimes it's peaceful. Sometimes it's pretty. Sometimes it isn't. But I take the action the best I can on, on any given day. You know, I do my very level best. Sometimes my very level best is 110%. Sometimes my very level best is 30%. Otherwise, I wouldn't. If I was dependent on my very best all the time, I wouldn't be dependent on God, would I? I need grace. So I spend time, I pray through those prayers. I read 84 through 88. I ask God to enable me, you know, to be honest when I need to 10-step and to the courage and the willingness to do that. Remind me of my, you know, my, my difficulties and remind me to turn back to him and to 10-step when I need to. You know, call my sponsor, admit, make amends, and then turn my thoughts to those I could help. God, please keep me out of me all day and help me approach every moment only as you would have me. You know, and I and I, I pray a lot of times, that, you know, I pray that our Father, the Lord's Prayer. I do, um, you know, uh, other devotionals and things. I make, I make use of what religious people have to offer, the God of my understanding there. You know, just go through the day and 
you know, and at the, at, at the end of the day, I uh, commit my food for the next day. I send five gratitudes and I do my nightly review out of the big book. You know, I answer those questions best I can. I try not to overanalyze and overthink it and wear myself out. You know, look at, try to look at myself with neither fear nor, nor fervor. And um, look the good as well as the not so great and, and just trusting that God sees it all. And, and then I get to go to sleep at night. And, and if something's bothering me bad the next morning, you know, I'll call, I'll call a closed mouth understanding friend, somebody in my circle, you know, that I can talk about it with that I feel led may understand yet be unaffected. So that's, that's me. That's daily. Um, it's nothing fancy. It's right out of the book. Thanks, Loretta. Okay, next up we have Susan followed by Penny. Susan, what's your question this morning? Yeah, thanks. Um, Larry's words of, um, of we need a tsunami of God consciousness really rang true. I heard your tsunami of God consciousness in the miracles you described. So um, each question I think of, you, you answer, and you may have already, you may, I mean, I listened attentively, but you can let me know if you have more to say on this. Otherwise, I have another question. But just the idea, I was really intrigued by the idea of rather than doing a lot of writing and busy work, um, I mean, I presume you did your fourth and fifth, but that in general, rather than doing a lot of writing and busy work, it can be almost a distraction or self-reliance that you, you devote more of the time to connecting with God. And I don't know if you have more to say on that. And if not, the other thing was, I was, I was just awed by um, God flowing through you in your ability or transforming you to give you the ability to forgive the murderer of your, um, of your mother. And I wonder in that case, or in the case of resentments in general, um, you know, you say we, we all wake up with a broken brain in the morning. Do you still struggle with forgiveness? Does, is it kind of an on-off kind of a thing, or has it really shifted for you? I'll leave it there. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you so much for the question. Um, uh, as far as uh, the forgiveness of the guy, I have no animosity toward the man. I mean, I used to literally think of all of, of the horrible things that I wish would happen to him. And I'm actually kind of neutral. It's not that I like the guy, and I'm certainly not in relationship with him. I haven't talked to him since. But I don't hate him. Um, I don't hate him anymore. And it's a miracle for my life. So there's that. I don't really think about it a whole, whole lot or him or whatever, or have those feelings toward him. Um, unless I'm actually telling my story about it. Uh, it's quite remarkable. Um, and as far as like, for me, I'm speaking for myself. Now there are people that are, that, that benefit from a lot, doing a lot of writing and a lot of homework and all of that stuff. I am not saying that is wrong at all. I'm saying from my own experience, from me, I can get so caught up because I'm such an overthinker and overanalyzer and over inventory. I will, I'm the kind that will do inventory upon inventory upon inventory so as to avoid circumstances. It's a, you know, if that makes sense, avoid taking actual action. They call that a lot of times belly button gazing. And I'll get into that worry, remorse, and morbid reflection. 
and I'll, I will literally look for so many things. I will create problems that aren't there just so I can give myself an excuse for being so bad that, that there's no use in even taking, taking the action. Right. So it's, you know, the simplicity of this program, I need to accept that this program is actually meant to be very, very, very simple. And that was hard for me because I, I'm an overdoer, an overthinker, an overfeeler, and over everything. So scaling back for me was what was required. You know, restriction and control and management is, is part of my MO and things that need to be changed. And so I can, I'm the one who can actually use the program to my detriment. You know, um, this program is about freedom. And finding that balance in God, God, asking God to mold my ideals with recovery, just like in the sex prayers, you know, mold my ideals in this relationship and please help me to live up to them. You know, God, mold my ideals in recovery and help me to live up to what you expect me to do in recovery. You know, so how can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah, okay, so we, we have, um, it's about a quarter till, so we're going to maintain the integrity of the media, end of the meeting on time. But we do have Penny, Tamara, Pollution, Nadia. We'll try to do our best to get through those. We'll see. But next up is Penny with the question followed by Tamara. Penny, good morning. Good morning. Hi, Shana. Thank you so much for your honesty and your share. Um, I really appreciate a lot out of it. My question is, you talked about you had a home that had you had to make some decisions about um, how to go about selling your home or not selling it. Um, I'm in a situation where I have a deadline to be to move, and I'm just all over the place because I'm a single parent. Um, I have and, and, and I'm a single parent. Plus, I'm also a senior citizen with a with a with a with a uh, teenager child. But my question is. With my program and all these things that I have to do, you know, I'm just wanting to know how do you keep trusting God where you don't get in fear and just what are some of the things you do to just so you don't, because I'm kind of all over the place with, you know, trying to work, work my program, not get into the food, and still do the work that I need to do as far as getting a place and, and, and respecting the deadline that I have to be out to move. It's just it's just a lot of things. I'm just all over the place, and I want. I'm trusting God, but I'm keep. I'm keep having fear of don't want to get the wrong place, or you know, not being out on time. I'm doing all what I need to do, and I'm just. What are some of the things that you do to bring you peace and just to trust God and just to just totally rely on Him? It's almost like you know, well, that's what faith is about. So, can you just kind of share with me a little bit about? It? Uh. Yes, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I understand. Uh, what I did was I did steps 10, 11, and 12 out of the big book, 84 through 88, every day. I called my sponsor. I 10 stepped, I, you know, as things cropped up. And I tried to stay out of the results of it. And I just tried to do the next right thing and surrender, you know, and, and stay in today. Like so many times getting trying to plan so far ahead is, is I get into fear because I'm relying on self and something that hasn't even happened yet. So staying, taking the actions of 10, 11, 12, 84 through 88, staying in contact with my sponsor, 10 stepping, helping others. God takes care of the rest. You know, if I, if I, 
if I take those actions, if I put him first, if I put recovery first, everything else winds up typically. Yep. Thanks for the question, Penny. Okay, Tamara, your turn, followed by Felicia. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for your story, Shanna. Uh, it was, it was a, I just got so much out of it. My question is um, about uh, not having to have everything figured out anymore. I'm still um, growing in that area, and it's such a relief. But could you share a little bit about how that comes in when you're planning for the future, when you need to put some planning into something, but you don't have to have it all figured out? What's your experience with that? Thank you so much. Yeah, I understand that, too, because there is a fine line between you got to plan for the future, and but at the same time, you know, I have no control. Under, with that understanding and you know and that comes with time and, and taking the action and growing and under growing in trust of the process and 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 god and so to boil it down to the fact that i got to stay in today you know the, the big book talks about and it's listed there we consider our plans for the day so i make i may make a plan there's nothing wrong with making a plan but with the understanding that that plan may have been made out of fear or something and that God, God knows best. And so sometimes those plans get changed or don't turn out the way I thought, because depending on my own condition, I may have made a plan in in haste. And so it's all about being flexible because for me, my God operates in real time. You know, um, I'm here to play the role he has assigned. Okay. So if I make a plan for the day or, or, or whatever, I got a loose grip on it. Consider it. Maybe it wasn't supposed to happen that way, but but trusting things. If I continue throughout the day, you know, trusting and surrendering, you know, I get to wear the world like a loose garment instead of trying to eke and manage control and figure it out. I, I don't. The less I try to figure it out, the more I turn to God. The more I focus on God. The more I focus on the principles. Understanding I'm not perfect and, or whatever that. God is everything or else he's nothing, then the more peace I have and things just kind of fall into place. And, you know, i got to let go of the results. That's it. All right. Thank you, Tamara. Let's see if we can get through Felicia and Nadia. Felicia, good morning. What's your question this morning? Felicia, press star one. Good morning. Uh, Felicia, Recovering Compulsive Overeater. Thank you, Larry, and everyone who put this together for your service. And Shana, thank you so, so much for your message today. Um, My question is, how in both early recovery and today, if there's any difference, how do you differentiate between God's will and your will? How do you know when you're running on self or when it really is an intuitive thought? Thank you so much. That's the question of the century. <laughs> um, to, to keep it really, really, really simple, thank you uh, for that. And it's if it works, it's God. If it doesn't work, it's not God. And a lot of times it takes, it involves me 10-stepping fear and asking for the courage to take action regardless of of what the results may be. And then I end up seeing that God was with me. The whole, the whole point is establish and maintain that relationship with the God of my understanding, regardless of the results. 
of how things turn out. The whole goal is to be in relationship with the God of my understanding. That I can walk through anything. Um, that it's not so much figuring out his will in an effort to earn or, or gain standing or whatever, because I get into self-seeking when I do that. If I figure, try to figure out God's will to please, you know, that's me trying to manage again. I didn't realize it. Um, it, That, that if I'm, if I'm in truly surrendering and I'm asking God, please enable me to approach this only as you would have me. So number one, the big book tells me that God wants me to be happy, joyous, and free. So God, please enable me to be happy, joyous, and free. God, please enable me to act unselfishly. God, please set aside everything I think I know about the situation. Help me to, you know, and a lot of times when I'm taking action on those principles, it feels like I'm flying through a situation blindfolded and backwards. But things always turn out the way they, they're supposed to. And I realize I get to be wrong. Um, thank God I get to be wrong. Um, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, thank, thanks so much for that, uh, Felicia. Um, okay, and also before we get to Nadia for our last question, you know, we're going to ask Shanna to give us uh, her contact information after the recorded portion of the the meeting. So if you have questions, just give her a ring and uh, and handle it that way. So Nadia B, drum roll, last question. <laughs> thank you so much, Larry. <laughs> Good morning. Hey, Shanna, thank you so much for your service. Wow. Um, just, you know, just really inspired. And um, my question is, you know, sometimes um, we talk a lot about acceptance and um, you know, there are some days that I don't really have it. <laughs> um, and if there are days uh, for you where you don't have it, that acceptance, that trust, and, um, you know, if, uh, what do you do? Um, you know, and you talked so much about, you know, how sometimes it's hard uh, for you to trust when it comes to your kids or, or how do you build uh, or how do you get to that acceptance? Um, so that's kind of uh, when it comes to those big feelings, big relationships, like with our kids, husband, significant others, sister, brothers, uh, you know, whoever. Yeah, asking for a friend, you know. Mm-hmm. Put that um, on. Thanks, Nadia. Um, uh, it's ten, eleven, and twelve. Um, I have a belly barometer that when you know when I get disturbed. It's usually a lack of acceptance in one way or another. That I don't have to be right about the situation. I don't have to judge the situation. But when I am disturbed, I, I ask God, you know, what, a, you know, please remove my selfishness because if I'm disturbed, I'm not getting what I want somewhere. What is it that I'm expecting? What is it I'm demanding out of this situation? What am I placing my security in? Somewhere in that situation, I'm placing an area, my third call, my security. Uh, is being threatened somewhere. And so that puts me into fear. And if I'm in fear, I get into self-reliant mode. And that means I need to fix it. I need to control it. I think it's my responsibility. I forget that I've tapped into a power greater than me that will solve my problem. So I feel that. And so just over time, and in practice, 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 of, okay, I'm feeling this. Okay, God, you know, I'm having a feeling. Sometimes, you know, I just got to sit with it. Sometimes, you know, most of the time I'm able to call my sponsor, recognize it and get turned around. 
and then turn my thoughts to someone I can help to get out of self or to do the next right thing or whatever and, and turning it over, giving it to God. It's that emotional disturbance that oftentimes has nothing to do with reality. And that's the wisdom to know the difference. It just takes time and practice and living in 10, 11, 12. At least it has for me. And I'm not perfect at it. And I hope to continue to grow. And it, it happens daily. Um, I get relieved of this stuff daily. It's not one of these days I'll get to. No, it's daily. Like, and um, anyway, that's all I have. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much. And Nadia, thanks for the question. And Shanna C. from Tennessee, we just want to thank you so much for your your devotion of time um, this morning. I Call me crazy. You won't be the, the first, but I, I'd like to think that your, your mom is smiling and uh, filling your heart with love and compassion this morning as she has with the rest of us. So Thank you so much. We're going to get Shanna's contact information after we're done with the quarter portion. Let me give you the share ID for the presentation again. That number is 20,341. That's 20341. And we are going to close now with a reading from the big book from, oddly enough, a chapter called The Vision for You um, on page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you 